0: Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Ruth, the eighth book of the Old Testament. Ruth chapter 1, it's on page 184 in the Bibles there in the chairs in front of you. We began a study last week of, of this short book. It's an exciting book. It's a unique book. It's the only book that is named after a Gentile woman. Yet it's a wonderful story of God's loving kindness. And really the, the Hebrew word Hesed that captures so much more than just the words loving kindness. It's a, a devoted covenantal loyalty. It's a statement of mercy, of grace, and all of that that God is showing and, and actually at a time when when it was a time of difficulty. We considered the first several verses last week in the passage this morning. We're going to see the, the moving back into the, the promised land. You know, most homegoings, after being away for some time, are, are rather bittersweet. There's a nostalgia of, of fond memories in coming home. Uh, there may be a yearning for a less complicated uh, time. There may be a mixture of sorrow, of sad memories, unfulfilled expectations, maybe broken dreams, uh, maybe even some unpleasant reminders. But it's it's a time of nostalgia. Last October, Judy and I were in Michigan and speaking at First Baptist Church in Troy. Uh, She spoke for a ladies' retreat. I spoke for the Sunday services. And before our flight back, which was going to be that evening on Monday, we had some time free. So we decided to go. We were about an hour from where I grew up. I grew up in a little farming community named Croswell, and people even from Michigan have no idea where Croswell is. We would tell them it's between Applegate and Jetto, which were even smaller towns. And and yet it was nice to go back. This was the church where my father pastored for over uh, 30 years. It was probably only the second time I had been back in that area in the last 25 years. And so it was a trip that brought back lots of memories. I grew up in this church. My father pastored there. We got to stop by and, and, and meet the pastor. Uh, you know, when you, when you go back to a small farmy community like that, some things never change. And, and other things show some positive improvements. We actually ate lunch at the, the McDonald's that did not exist there when I was a kid. Uh, we had to drive 25 miles to a fast food burger joint when I was a kid. So, so that was progress, that our town now has a McDonald's. In fact, we used to brag that the, really the mark of advancement in our community was that we had a stoplight. A lot of other towns around us didn't have that. And so we had that. Uh, we visited the most notable landmark, uh, the, really the business in our town, which was uh, the Pioneer Sugar Beet Factory. And so to see the sugar beets there, we had a sugar beet factory, we had a, an Aunt Jane's pickle factory, we had a Stokely Van Camp canning company, and we had the stockyard. You could always tell which way the wind was blowing in Croswell. And so we were able to stop by there, but we also visited the most notable landmark in our community, the Swinging Bridge. This cable wood plank suspension bridge over the Black River was actually built in 1905 to get the workers across the river so they could work in the sugar beet factory. And of course the sign there that you see, the sign, be good to your mother-in-law, at the entrance of the bridge, now, this, this area has a lot of memories for me. I grew up just up the street from this park, uh, just a few houses up. And so, you know, I rode my bike across that bridge. I ran across that bridge. Uh, in the winter, I skated under the bridge and snowmobiled under the bridge, jumped off the bridge in the summer. Uh, there were a lot of activities. And, and that, it really was a swinging bridge, and it was always a joy to introduce the few visitors and tourists we got to town to just how that bridge could swing. And with some of my friends, we could show them that this bridge really does move. In fact, we found that if you get enough people on both ends, you could get that bridge to bounce to where it was level going across. And, and so the, going back up to this area brought back a lot of memories, fond memories But you know, there were some bittersweet memories as well. We stopped by and visited a a family, some dear friends of our family. Uh, This man had had three sons, and they started attending our church when I was seven years old. Their oldest son was about my age, and it was just a very short time after this man had lost his wife in an automobile accident as she was going to a, a school activity, and so these three boys were left without a mother and their father. And they were, uh, the oldest was my age, and the other two were just a little bit younger. So we became good friends. And several years later, this man remarried a, a wonderful lady, a godly lady. And they had two daughters. And that, that was a very close family friend. And then last August, this young man who was uh, my age, we had graduated together, he passed away. And so we stopped by and saw the family, and they told me where he was buried. They told me about his cemetery plot and uh, that he was buried next to his mother. And, and so I, I grew up in this area. I never knew this cemetery existed. And they told me where it was. If you go down Lakeshore Road, go down about 15 miles, take a right at this light. I thought, I know that area. I didn't know there was a cemetery. So we stopped by and was able to visit the the grave of of one of my high school friends and as he went to be with the Lord. um, and, And so it was a bittersweet time. You know, when you go home, things are never quite the same. Some things change, people change, some pass on. And that's really what we find in this first chapter of Ruth. We find Naomi coming home to Bethlehem. But we also find Ruth going home to her new home. That Naomi is returning to Bethlehem along with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who's going to her new home. And Ruth really is being good to her mother-in-law. A mother-in-law that tried to push her away. And, And this return is actually expedited in part by deaths. And that's what we saw in the opening verses last week of Ruth chapter 1. The the opening five verses are are really very dark. It's talking about a dark time in Israel's history. It was the time of the judges. And if you read the verse right before Ruth 1, the last verse of Judges, it says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And when people do what's right in their own eyes, a lot of things go wrong. And that was the situation. And if that wasn't enough, now there's a famine in the land. So Bethlehem, which means house of bread, is without food. And so this man, Elimelech, with his wife Naomi and their two sons, decide to leave the promised land and go to the country of Moab. And it was a very pragmatic and practical decision because of the, the cultural corruption, the economic distress. Moab had, was, a, was not a friend of Israel. It was a nation that had come into existence through an incestuous relationship between a drunken lot and his his eldest daughter. Deuteronomy 23 said that a Moabite was prohibited from entering the assembly of the Lord for 10 generations because of their cold-heartedness toward Israel, their unhelpfulness. And, And when Elimelech went, he didn't intend to stay in Moab. In fact, the opening verses say that it was really just a a short-term plan for him. He he didn't intend to live there. He certainly didn't intend to die there, but that's what happened. He dies in Moab. And then his sons meet two nice Moabite women and marry them. I mean, what, what were their prospects? But here he's left a widow. He's left his sons. Men, we have to make sure that we make choices that lead our family closer to the Lord, not away from the Lord. Elimelech took them away from the promised land. And his choices had consequences. And so it's not surprising that his, his sons marry these Moabitess girls. They're, they're nice girls, they're kind girls, they're loving girls, but they're not following the true God. And Naomi's anticipating grandchildren for for a widow in that day to have have a heritage a lineage offspring is what brought security and after 10 years there is no grandkids and then her sons die and here she is a widow in a foreign country no welfare program no husband no sons no offspring really no hope that's how the book opens and it culminates in verse 5 with the statement, then both Malon and Kilion also died. Those were the sons. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. And now word comes to Naomi that there is th- there's food back in the promised land. And she decides to return home. She's trying to go, but she really she doesn't want her daughters-in-law to go with her. And she's trying to encourage them not to go. But what we find is, is while one of them is willing to stay in, in Moab, Ruth is not. And while it's a homecoming for Naomi, it's a coming home for Ruth. She is going to identify with another people, a new home, a new covenant community. And it's through this step, section that we see the steadfast love of God that is really magnified in Ruth's faithfulness, but it's missed by Naomi's frustration. And what I want us to understand this morning is that by focusing on life's disappointments, you will fail to see God's loving kindness. If our focus is on the problems, we're not going to see what God is doing. We find that in this passage. Follow with me as I begin reading. We're going to begin in verse 6 and read through the end of chapter 1. Beginning of verse 6 through the end of chapter 1. It says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab for she had heard the country, in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people, giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest. "'Each in the house of her husband.' "'So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. "'And she said to her, "'Surely,' they said to her, "'Surely we will return with you to your people.' "'But Naomi said, "'Turn back, my daughters. "'Why will you go with me? "'Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? "'Turn back, my daughters, go. "'For I am too old to have a husband.' And if I should say I have hope and if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they are gro- were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters. For it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept. Norpa kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. "'And there I will be buried. "'The Lord do so to me and more also, "'if anything but death separates you and me.'" And when she saw she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, "'Is this Naomi?' But she said to them, "'Do not call me Naomi.'" Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who had returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we look into your word this morning, we pray that that we would be hearers and doers, that your Holy Spirit would apply it to our lives and change us, that we would be aware of your goodness, your mercy, your grace, even in the midst of difficult times. Help us to be alert to the needs of others, that we too would be willing to love and serve you through serving others. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. In this passage we read, we find some very familiar verses. In fact, some of these verses we often hear at weddings. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. But these weren't spoken as verses of statements of spousal loyalty. They were actually a daughter-in-law to her mother-in-law. Here, Naomi is facing difficulties, but she doesn't have to face them alone. And yet by focusing on life's disappointments, she failed to see God's loving kindness. How could that happen? Well, that's what I want us to understand from this passage this morning. Because you will fail to recognize God's goodness when, first of all, you react with dissatisfaction to life's circumstances. That's what we find happening here. In, the, in verses 6-10, through 10, we find this frustration, that this, this bitterness of life that Naomi has tasted. I, I think that Naomi had unmet expectations. We're not told what she expected, but it wasn't this. She didn't picture her life being like this. You know, she was a faithful wife who had followed her husband to Moab. Maybe, maybe she had helped push him to Moab. We don't know. But whatever had happened, whatever transpired was to try to take care of her family. She wanted to take care of her boys, all three of them. And for a Jewish woman, her livelihood really depended on her husband, and particularly on, on having a male heir. And she had two sons. She, she had a lot of hope in front of her. But now her husband and her sons are dead. And she has no heir. She didn't expect life to go this way. and and folks understand it's not wrong to dream but it is wrong to allow those dreams to become idols and to assume that god must do what we want you know family can become an idol if we're not careful and i think we see with naomi there's a frustration her plans for her family didn't happen the way she wanted and now she's blaming god Her name change reflects a change of her circumstances. Don't call me Naomi, pleasant is what it meant. Call me Mara, bitter, because life is bitter. She had unmet expectations. I would say that Naomi also had unrealistic expectations. You know, it's not wrong to have expectations, but it is wrong to assume that problems won't come to life. That we won't face hardship. You know, there, there is no guarantee that a spouse will not die. In fact, just the opposite is actually true. Every spouse dies. If the Lord tarries, that will happen. And, and, and we don't like to think that way, but it's actually part of our marriage ceremony. We we talk about it to, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, and to love and to cherish until death parts us. We say it, but we don't really want to think that. And when it happens, it comes too soon. Whenever it comes. And yet the truth is, none of us is guaranteed of tomorrow. And every day is truly a gift from God. And do we see it that way, or do we assume we deserve those days? When George Mueller's wife Mary died, she died of rheumatic fever. And he preached her funeral from Psalm 119, verse 68, that says, you are good and do good. And he had three points in his message. His first point was, the Lord was good and did good in giving her to me. The second one was the Lord was good and did good in leaving her with me for the time we had. And his third point was the Lord was good and did good in taking her from me. And as he reflected on her illness and the pain and suffering she had been experiencing, he said one of the things that brought joy to him was knowing that she was with the Lord and rejoicing. That's not the perspective most of us have. That's not my normal thought. And yet what we see is this will happen. You know, her husband died. And, and understanding that that happens. We have many widows in our church. We have some widowers as well. You know, as I started thinking of my family, both of my grandfathers died before my grandmothers. My father and my father-in-law have both died and our, my mother and mother-in-law are living. And as I thought about it, I thought, if I go before my wife, she'll probably rest better knowing that she didn't leave me without adult supervision. (laughs) But you know, we don't get to choose the time. And, And while we have expectations, we have to understand our times are in God's hands. And we have to be willing to trust Him with our lives. And understanding that while well, we have expectations, if they're not met, and we become dissatisfied, then the danger is we start saying, well, life isn't fair. People aren't fair. God's not fair. And that's wrong thinking. And it causes us to miss the blessings of God. And we see this with Naomi, that she's reacting in dissatisfaction to life circumstances. The second thing, though, is when we assume responsibility that doesn't belong to us. And we find that Naomi is now trying to solve the situations for her daughters-in-law, and she can't do it. She's frustrated because she can't care for them properly. And her comments here, that she, she's talking about having more sons. To understand what's taking place, you have to understand the Jewish law. And there was an obligation under the, the Jewish law to raise up the descendant for the dead brother, for the, to continue the family lineage. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, we read that if a, if a woman's husband dies without producing an heir, then his brother is to marry that widow and, and raise an heir. And the first child will be the heir and continue the brother's lineage. And then other offspring would continue his lineage. This was the, the Laverite marriage law in the Old Testament. Well, Naomi is very familiar with this. And she's looking at the situation, and she's done inventory, and and she says, i got nothing to offer. I'm too old to remarry. I I couldn't have children. And even if I did, you wouldn't want to wait for them. And and she's taking a personal inventory and says, I can't do it. Well, no, but God can. But she's taking responsibility that doesn't belong to her. She's, She's presuming to do God's job. And and understanding, folks, when we do that, when we try to take on responsibilities for things that we cannot control, it's exhausting. You know, I'm not talking about wise and careful planning and decisions, but I'm talking about trying to be in control of things that we cannot control. Do you really think you can do a better job of protecting and directing your life than God can? What about your children? We can get so consumed with having to care for and take care of our, our children instead of Trusting the Lord, that He loves them more than we do. You know, some parents think they can pull all the strings and work the systems for their kids, and, and if they don't do it, they'll never achieve in life. Yeah, how did that work out for a You know, trying to be God is not only arrogant, it's exhausting. Because God gives grace to the humble, but He resists the proud. He's not going to bless His competition if we're trying to be God. And, and so what do we do? What, what is it that causes you to be awake at night? What brings that anxiety? Is it something that's out of your control? We can take it to the Lord. We can pray. But, you know, we can't control life. We can't control circumstances. We can't control people. But we can cast our burdens upon the Lord. Naomi's assuming responsibility that really didn't belong to her. The third thing we see is she's pushing away people who are trying to help her and support her. No, her, her daughters-in-law want to stay with her. And, and I think it really speaks of a good family relationship. You see this in, in these verses. Look at verses 8 and 9. And notice what she's saying here. She's, she's saying, go to your own house. You've, you've dealt kindly with me and with your, your husbands who have died. And, and there's this loving relationship. But she's trying to push them away. And then when she gets back to Bethlehem, here are women coming out to support her, and she's, she's pushing them away as well. You know, I think it speaks of a good relationship. Both Ruth and Orpah are headed to Judah. That's what verse 10 tells us. Now, Orpah turns back, but Ruth is determined to go with her. And, and notice how Naomi tries to convince Ruth not to come. She uses a number of tactics. The first one is logic. You know, I've got no more sons available. That's verse 11. You've got a better chance of remarrying in Moab than you do if you go as a foreigner to Israel. That's verse 9. And when that doesn't work with Ruth, then she resorts to peer pressure. That's verse 15. Well, look what your sister-in-law did. You know, you ought to be like your sister-in-law. Go back. And, and when none of that works, then she gives Ruth the silent treatment. I chuckle when I read verse 18. It says, then she stops speaking to her. You know, you've got a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law, and she's not speaking to her. Like that's never happened before. What a fun trip back to Judah that must have been. You know, two guys can go on a trip and not talk, and everything's fine. <laughs> two women go on a trip and not talk. There's a problem. You know, Naomi, is something wrong? Nothing. <laughs> you know, it seems like something's wrong. Well, you should know. <laughs> you know, th- this is not a comfortable situation. She, just, she stopped talking to her. And, and then she gets back. And, and when the women in Bethlehem come out, they offer support. The whole city is excited. That's what verse 19 says. And notice, notice how it's plural until the very last statement in verse 19. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem. And all the city was excited because of them And the women said, is this Naomi? It's almost like Ruth is getting ignored. And 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 I appreciate Naomi's honesty. I mean, she doesn't pretend, she doesn't come out and say, oh, you know, everything is wonderful. Praise the Lord. God is good. Oh, it's life is she said, don't call me Naomi. (laughs) Call me bitter. Because life has been bitter. I mean, there's a realness to her response. Now, I'm not saying if somebody asks you how you're doing that we should just dump all of our troubles on them. But do you have people around that you can actually open up to? That you can say, you know, I'm struggling. There's some problems. That you can drop your guard and let them speak into your life? Are there people who know when things aren't quite right, they can sense it with you? Now, I'm afraid that Naomi's coming back and she's pushing people away. You know, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Okay. How about we don't call you at all? <laughs> you know that welcome home party we were planning for Naomi? Let's cancel it. Let's just have us girls get together over here. Don't invite Naomi. It's not going to be a fun party. But you see that she's she's struggling here. But I think the fourth thing that we see is we hesitate to point other people to the Lord. She's pushing away people who could support her. But more than that, she's lost confidence in God. She is not in a good place spiritually at this point. And she doesn't even realize it. See, Naomi's solution was to send her daughters-in-law back to their paganism. She's thinking physically, but she's not thinking spiritually. Her solution was very pragmatic, and it would make sense from a human level. But she's not thinking about eternal consequences. And and while we might look at Naomi and say, that's not a good thing, we can do the same thing. Not, Not necessarily a lack of confidence, but a lack of awareness of the spiritual aspect. Are we really investing for eternity, or do we get our eyes so focused on the here and now, the physical, that we lose sight of that? You know, we we can want the best for our families. We can want the nice home and the nice job and the, the nice life and everything that can be provided and forget about serving God. Naomi is not in a good place spiritually. Here are two women that cared about Naomi and loved her and were willing to go to the promised land where they could be introduced to the worship of Yahweh. And Naomi's solution is go back to your paganism. She's not convinced her God has anything to offer them at this point. And if Naomi's faith is any indication of the situation in Israel, it's no wonder God sent a famine to the land. And rather than repenting and trusting, her family cut and ran. We're out of here. We're going to Moab. We got better options with the pagans. And we see that she doesn't really have a focus on the souls of her daughters-in-law. See, despondent people don't point others to Jesus. And bitter people actually encourage people away from Jesus. Because Hebrews tells us when that root of bitterness springs up, many are defiled. Because when bitterness comes, the only one that can meet our needs is the Lord. Life doesn't work without Christ. When the bitterness of life comes, he gives grace. In fact, Jesus said, come to me, All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When we have that confidence in God, we can point others to trust Him and have that confidence as well. And you may be here this morning, or you may be watching our service and weighed down by guilt and sin and fear, that fear of death that we don't really want to think about. And when it's brought up, we get really uncomfortable but we're all going to live somewhere forever. Do you know that you'll be in heaven? Well, I hope so. I kind of think I might. I think it... No, you can know. 1 John says these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. How does that come? By believing in Jesus Christ alone. Putting your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ. That He came into this world to die for our sins, to pay the penalty for sins. The wages of sin is death the gift of God is eternal life. He is the one who redeems us. The picture we're going to see later in Ruth is that of a redeemer, a kinsman who buys back. That's what Jesus did for us spiritually. Christ came into this world, born in Bethlehem, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, that we can have a relationship with Jesus, with God through Christ alone. Do you have that? And see, when that happens, there's joy in the presence of angels when a sinner turns to Christ. But Naomi's not thinking about the spiritual condition of her daughters-in-law. Are we sensitive to the souls of others? Do you have relatives who need Jesus? Could bitterness be hindering a testimony and defiling others or pushing them away by our attitude? I think the fifth thing we see is that she blames God for life's difficulties. When we we don't see what God is doing and blame him, it's going to create problems. Notice what she says. She says, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And, And now she's going to lay that out. She's going to actually expand on how that happened. She says, I went out full and God brought me home empty. Is that really true? I mean, yes, she left with a husband and sons, but there wasn't any food. The whole reason they left was because of a famine. Now, should they have left? We don't know. It doesn't tell us, but they left the promised land for the land of pagans. And now she's coming home with a loving daughter-in-law who really is being good to her mother-in-law. And she tried to drive her away, and it didn't happen. And then she says, the Lord has testified against me. Really? God is actually going to provide a husband for Ruth and a grandson for Naomi. And we'll read this in the coming chapters. And that grandson will be the grandfather of King David. You know, in some ways, Naomi almost sounds like that petulant child or teenager when they don't get their way and the parents say, no, you can't do this. No, you can't go there. Say, you've ruined my life. It's almost what she's saying. God, you've ruined my life. You've testified against me. And then she says, the the Almighty has afflicted me. She's tasted the bitterness of life, yes, but unfortunately she's allowed it to taint everything. You know, have you ever brushed your teeth and then shortly after that drank orange juice? If you've had that experience, you realize, you know, it it doesn't have that sweet taste. Why? The toothpaste has tainted the sweetness. The struggles of life have tainted everything Naomi is tasting. Because the truth is, the Almighty has not afflicted her. God has protected her. Do you realize what this trip was like? They're going from Moab back to Bethlehem. This is a trip of 75 miles to just show you what that would have been like. This is not an easy journey. It covered 75 miles. From Moab, they had to descend 4,500 feet down into the the valley, either the Jordan Valley or at the end of the Dead Sea. And then they have to go back up another 3,750 feet to get to Bethlehem. And you've got two widows traveling alone during a time when everybody did what was right in their own eyes. That is not a safe trip. And God protected her. The protection of God was there and she accuses God of affliction. And and this is what we see. When you focus on life's disappointments, you fail to see God's mercy. She sees God as almighty. In fact, she says that twice in this passage. The almighty has done this. But she doesn't see him as all merciful. She says, "I, I know God is powerful, but I'm not convinced he's good. Because he has dealt Harshly with me. And if, if she could see the bigger picture, what God is going to do, and bringing all of this together, because we see that she missed God's blessing. And that blessing is expressed through other people. She has a caring companion with her. Ruth's commitment to her is, is noble. Notice in verse 16, it says, Ruth displayed her commitment, first of all, to the Lord says, your God will be my God. I'm taking it a little bit backwards, but to see what has taken place, that that she's saying, look, Naomi said, go back to the pagan gods like your sister-in-law did. And she said, no, I'm going after your God. She had at least seen enough in in the the life of her husband or heard enough from her mother-in-law or heard enough, but she said, I want to serve your God. She's willing to go with her. Your God will be my God. And then we see that Ruth dedicated herself to serve God's people. She says, your people will be my people. That is not an insignificant statement. In fact, in verse 17, she actually says, where you die, I will die, and that's where I'm going to be buried. In in that day, in that culture, to be buried with one's people was a significant thing. In fact, when you read the Old Testament, you find many times the way they speak of death is somebody being being gathered to their people. When when Jacob went down into Egypt because of the famine, and when he was about to die, he called his sons together, and it says in, in Genesis 49, 29, he charges them that they would not leave his body in Egypt, but that he would be taken back and buried with his father's. And then when when Israel left Egypt 400 years later, they took Joseph's bones with them to be buried with his people. So when Ruth says this, it's a statement that she says, I am uniting with the covenant community of Israel. That was not some minor sentimental speech to to cross-stitch and hang up in your living room. This was a statement of commitment I'm going to follow your God, and I want to be part of that covenant community. And do you realize what that meant? Ruth is leaving her physical family in Moab. She's uniting with the spiritual covenantal family of Israel. She's she's really limiting her resources, but she's committed to the people of God. That's one reason that being part of a church family is so important. That's one reason that voting people into membership to say we're part of a family. We're not simply a religious club. We are a spiritual family. And we will care for one another, and that's our commitment. And we will seek to do that because when we're not doing well spiritually, like a Naomi, that there's somebody who can speak into our lives and help us. Are you dedicated to a spiritual well-being of other people? The third thing that I think we see with Ruth is she demonstrated her compassion for people in need. She's saying this to Naomi. Naomi was needy at this point. She didn't realize how much so. But Ruth is displaying a biblical love. That love sacrifices personal rights and gives unselfishly for the good of another person. She's giving up her rights. Humanly speaking, Ruth had much better options if she had stayed in Moab. She had a better chance of marrying a Moabite man than she's going to have of marrying an Israelite when she's a foreigner. She's got family there. This is where she grew up. She's going, this is her home area. And she said, no, I'm going to a land I've never been to. I'll be an outsider, but I'm going to serve you. Where you die, I'm going to die. Ruth was not selfish. She was sacrificing her rights. She was actually abandoning the security that her culture would give her to go with Naomi. I mean, what would happen if Naomi died? And now you've got a Moabite woman in a foreign land. Her statements are statements of compassion and commitment. Folks, are we willing to sacrifice rights, our time, our comfort, our convenience to help others? You know, Are we willing to let our children serve in a foreign land? Taking the gospel to people who are headed to hell, even if it means you might not be able to get together with your grandkids for every birthday and holiday? Are we willing to do that? This is what Ruth is doing in showing the love of God. Do you allow people to minister to you or do you tend to keep them at arm's length to remain aloof? Are there people who speak into your life with whom you really are vulnerable? You know, we all need that. You need to be real if you're going to be healed when there are spiritual problems. Naomi may have been coming home in faith, but it was a flawed faith. Yeah, there's food in Bethlehem. The house of bread now finally has bread. I'm going home. And she sees God as mighty, but not merciful. She fails to grip his Hesed, his steadfast love, loyalty, mercy, and protection. Do we allow people to get close enough to speak into our lives? Do you put yourself in a position where others can get close to you? I'm not talking about forced friendships. Or traumatic transparency. But are there people who you know who can sense when you're struggling? Who have the freedom that can speak to you without getting the cold shoulder, without a Naomi saying, and she ceased talking to her. You know, one of the reasons that we stress the small groups that we have, our, our adult Bible fellowships, our care and share groups, and then we, then we have men's breakfasts and ladies' Bible studies and craft nights and, and all of these things, is to build those opportunities. And if your attitude is, well, I don't need that, well, maybe somebody needs you. Maybe there's somebody there that is hurting and you're the one who can speak into their life and there may come a time when you do need them. And you need that bridge built. That bridge to get you from one side of the river to the other. So do you allow yourself to be in places where relationships can be developed? Proverbs 18, 24 says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. It's a two-way street. The bridge goes both ways. Or do we make decisions based on whether we like it? Well, I don't eat breakfast. I don't do crafts. You know, I, I don't eat... But you see it as an opportunity. It's not because we need stuff on our calendar, believe me. But we do need friends. And so much the more in this day. We need people that can speak into our lives. And I would say, do you consistently look for opportunities to help others? That said, it's a two-way street. It's That bridge goes both ways. Whose life are you speaking into? Who are you looking to help take that next spiritual step? When we come to church, do we come with a ministry mindset to, to encourage others, or do we come with a consumer mindset? What can I get out of this? You know, it, it might mean arriving early and staying late as we touch lives. And we purposely try to schedule things in a way we, we actually on our Sunday evening service try to get out in time while the kids are still in a so adults can fellowship. Because we need this. Are you willing to step out of your comfort zone for the sake of ministry? Let's take that propositional statement and turn it around from the negative to the positive. We started with the by focusing on life's disappointments, you will fail to see God's loving kindness. But on the other side, by focusing on God's loving kindness, you will be able to deal with life's disappointments. Do you see God's loving kindness in your life? Are you willing to focus on that? and then face life's disappointments. It begins by seeing that he sent his son for our salvation. And when we have that relationship to realize, yes, there are going to be problems in life. None of us is going to have a carefree life. But God hasn't left us to be alone. We have a spiritual family. And our spiritual family will outlast our physical family. And God is going to bless Naomi Through Ruth, becoming the heir to the greatest king in Israel's history who will be the lineage then for the Messiah. Are you willing to trust God and focus on his loving kindness even when there's a bitter taste from life? To say God truly is working in my life. Where do we apply that this morning? Let's look to the Lord.